0: Please be seated. Someone once said that the Easter Vigil was the granddaddy of all Christian liturgies, and they were right. No other act of worship has such ancient roots. We have descriptions of pilgrims in Jerusalem celebrating this night that go back to the third century. No other service recalls the whole arc of salvation history, stretches back to creation and the Old Testament, and culminates in the two sacraments of baptism and the Eucharist as well. No other liturgy in the church combines in such a dramatic way the spoken word glorious music, and the evocative images of fire, water, bread, and wine. The Easter Vigil is my personal favorite service as well, since it had a lot to do with my conversion to the Episcopal Church. When I was in college, back in what I call my agnostic period, a friend of mine invited me to come with her to a very High Anglo Catholic Episcopal Parish in Portland, Oregon. They did the vigil service in the old fashioned way. For one thing, it started at 4 a.m. I have floated this idea with the cathedral choir and not gotten very far. <laughs> and all of the readings of the service, and there were nine of them, not just five. All of the readings were done in a totally dark church, illuminated only by a single candle held by the reader. I can well remember stumbling to my pew and sitting there in the dark and cold, watching the stained glass windows slowly grow lighter as dawn approached. It was all very meditative and peaceful until we got to the Easter proclamation, as the priest shouted from the altar, He is risen! And the congregation replied, He is risen indeed! All the lights came on at once, and the full organs sounded the Gloria. Boom! The effect was both dazzling and spine-chilling. I was sold and said, Where do I sign up for confirmation class? But I was not just impressed with the sights and sounds. I was converted by the message of the Easter gospel, which I heard with new ears. We're going to hear it in just a few minutes. The words words that jumped out at me and jump out at me still are the words of the angel who appeared to the women and said, "'Be not afraid.'" The risen Christ repeats them later. Be not afraid. Later I learned that these words were also spoken by the angels, by the shepherds at Jesus' birth, and that Jesus himself repeatedly urges his followers, be not afraid. This these words appear many times throughout the Bible. It's been pointed out, in fact, that they appear 365 times in the Bible once for every day of the year. Well, these were life-changing words for a skinny, pimply college kid who was often afraid. Just like in the gospel, they hit me with the force of an earthquake. And they are still life-changing words For your grown-up bishop, who still struggles with anxiety, which goes way beyond fear. Fear has an object and is rational. Anxiety is irrational and free-floating. Much of the time, I'm not even conscious of what exactly I'm afraid of. And my guess is I'm not the only person in the room that struggles with this. So, as we listen to the words of the gospel again tonight, we might start with the question, what are we afraid of? What are you afraid of? Psychological studies point out that people generally are not particularly afraid of death itself, but of things like failure in their careers or relationships Painful and chronic illness, loss of income, and damaged reputation. USA Today lists the top fears for Americans in 2016 as number one government officials. Unless you think I'm being political here, this was the same top fear for 2015 as well, before there was a change of administration. The second one is terrorist attacks. The third is not having enough money for the future. And the fourth is losing people we love. And further down the list comes that that list of common, less rational phobias, including fear of flying, clowns, (laughs) public speaking, Spiders, dentists, and snakes. So, in the midst of all our fears, the risen Lord Jesus tells us not to be afraid, but can we believe him? Throughout our lives, we have many people who try to reassure us, who tell us there's nothing to be afraid of. The first were our parents, who comforted us in scary situations or when we woke up crying from a nightmare. As we got older, there are teachers and clergy and psychotherapists who try to talk us out of our fearfulness, and we may believe them, at least for a while, but eventually we discover that even with all their well meaning reassurances, the world remains. A pretty terrifying place. The Easter message is that Jesus doesn't just reassure us, he saves us by entering and overcoming that scary world of death, suffering, and fear. We can believe Jesus' words because we can believe Jesus' actions. And that means that he is the only real person, the only person, who has real authority to say, be not afraid. Do not fear the world, for I have overcome the world. Well, does this mean that everything is always going to come up roses for us? Hardly. Things go wrong and usually do but Easter means that no matter how bad things are, the ending is always going to be better than we can hope or pray for because our suffering is not the end of the story. God is the end of the story. As a little girl said to me while watching the passion drama on TV, Jesus got killed, but watch, here comes the good part. Or as actor and pretty good theologian, Dennis Hopper, puts it, in a world where the dead have returned to life, the word trouble loses much of its meaning. Thus, we should never confuse faithfulness with mindless optimism. One famous person who taught us this lesson was Admiral James Stockdale, who some of you may remember was the commanding officer in charge of American prisoners during the Vietnam War. Despite his own severe wounds and repeated torture, Stockdale organized his men's resistance, while he himself courageously refused to be used by the enemy for propaganda, even going so far as to mutilate himself so that they would not pray to him on television. Years later, when he was asked which prisoners were able to survive their ordeal, Stockdale replied, Oh, that's easy. The optimists didn't survive. They were the ones who said, We're going to be home by Christmas. And Christmas would come and Christmas would go. They'd then say, We're going to be home by Easter. and Easter would come and Easter would go. And then Thanksgiving and then it would be Christmas again and they died of a broken heart. Stockdale then added, This is a very important lesson. You must never confuse faith that you will prevail in the end, which you can never afford to lose, with the discipline to confront the the most brutal facts of your current reality, whatever they might be. I never doubted that I would get out but also that i would prevail in the end and turn the experience into the defining event of my life which in retrospect i would not trade his words have been come to be called the stockdale paradox optimists don't survive faithful people do It's that kind of faith that was in the mind of one of my former staff members when her husband died this past week. In the midst of a Holy Week service, I got a text on my phone which said, Ron passed a few hours ago quietly. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Jesus says to the women in the gospel, Do not be afraid, but go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee, and there they will find me. In other words, Jesus is telling us that we too will find the answer to our fears, not just at the empty tomb, not just an event which happened 2,000 years ago, but that he will always be going before us in Galilee the places that we live and work and struggle. He will always be with us. Jesus knows we live in a world of trouble, but he gives us a word of hope. Never mind that we, like the disciples, abandon him. He will never abandon us. We need never to be afraid. That is the message Of the Easter Vigil. That is Jesus' promise. Don't take my word for it, take his.